Welcome to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. At Victory, we value love in action through growing, connecting, serving, and giving. We work to show God's love and share His truth as we love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. Here's this week's sermon by Pastor Terry Green. We have uh, been doing a series on heaven, and we'll be looking there about heaven. We're not going to see heaven today, but we're going to think about it and talk about it again. Actually, we could see heaven today. Only the Lord knows. And as we look in this series on heaven, uh, we've looked at several different things about heaven. One is that heaven's a real place. Another, that it's a restricted place for believers only, and heaven's a place of spectacular beauty. And then what did we look at last week? Heaven is a place of uh -huh. extraordinary relationships. So you don't have to memorize all the titles, but I want you to think about heaven. I've never done a series on heaven before. I've preached single messages on it at different times, but I've never done a series and looked at it so comprehensively as we're doing in this study. So I hope it's benefiting you. I hope it's causing you to think about your future home. You say, okay, why are we starting a message about heaven looking at a lady checking off some things on her cell phone? Um, well, it's because earlier today I walked in and there were ladies on their cell phones. So, no, the truth is, I was listening to a survey of women, and I don't know where, when the results were conducted, where it was conducted or anything, but here's a few things that I remembered from the results that kind of made me laugh, especially the conclusion. 15% of the women surveyed dyed their hair or colored their hair. More than 20% of them wore false eyelashes. Almost 40% of them periodically wore wigs or hair extensions. 80% put on foundation, concealer, and blush. Isn't it nice to be a guy? <laughs> I don't even know what foundation, concealer, and blush are. 93% used nail polish. 98% wore eye makeup. But 100% of them voted in favor of a resolution condemning any kind of false packaging. <laughs> now, I'm not saying it's wrong to put on makeup. You know, when Kathy and I were in Bible college, the chancellor of our Bible college said, it's not wrong for women to put on makeup. Even an old barn looks better painted. And Kathy and I are like, did he really just say that? No, I've said that. Oops. Uh, but Dr. Earl K. Oldham, he's the guy, he was the chancellor of our Bible college, and that's what he said. I don't know how his wife viewed that, but my wife didn't think it was super popular. But Life on earth is filled with ironies and ambiguities. We often would love things to be a little different or a lot different. And so this morning, we're going to start out in Philippians chapter 1, and we're looking at the fact that heaven is a radically different place. A radically different place. It's way different than life on earth. And we're going to look at a few of the things the Bible says about why heaven is different than life on earth. And one of the things that I don't even mention in this message that I'm so looking forward to is we won't have as many constrictions on our time. 
And we'll be able to sit down and really enjoy life with people that we love and be able to hang out. We won't, I've been trying to get together with a friend and we're scheduling and we finally have something booked later this month because we haven't been able to for a long time. It's been more than a year since we've seen each other. We've texted back and forth, but he only lives like 40 miles away, but we haven't been able to get partly because I had some health issues. I couldn't travel much last year. Uh, my only time I went out of town last year pretty much was going to the VA hospital for doctor appointments, but um, uh, praise God, I'm doing much better this year. And in heaven, we won't have that barrier. We'll be able to see people and hang out with people and, and uh, see people again. We were looking at that last week in our relationships. So this morning, I want you to think about what Paul writes here in Philippians chapter 1. And we're going to start reading in verse number 21. Philippians 1 and verse number 21. He says, uh, well, before he says that, he said he's focused on honoring and magnifying Jesus Christ. So whether he lives or whether he dies, he doesn't care because he wants to honor Christ. His life is not about finding comfort or being satisfied. It's about exalting Jesus Christ. So he says in verse 21, to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. So he's talking about his desire. He, he doesn't care whether he lives or dies. In fact, we didn't read it, but the end of verse 20, he says, he wants Christ to be magnified in his body, whether by life or death. Either way works fine with Paul. And he wants to exalt Christ. And heaven is a radically different place. And so here's one of the issues that will be way different. Dead people live, not as zombies, but better than they ever did on earth. There's a weird obsession with zombies in our culture. I don't know if it's a worldwide phenomenon or just a U.S. phenomenon, but people actually have zombie parties, and they all dress like zombies, and they disfigure themselves, and, and they try and make it look like their arms detachable and hanging up. They do all kinds of weird things. There are lots of shows about zombies, and, and there's even you know some that have gone back in history, and... You know, they've tried to make this historical person be a zombie killer. And uh, there's no evidence at all, scientifically, medically, or scripturally, zombies will not exist. The Bible is very clear. When you die, that's it. On earth, on this earth. You will die, and you'll, if you know the Lord, you'll immediately be in the presence of the Lord. If you don't know the Lord, you'll immediately be in hell. And as soon as you die, one place or the other. And, and that's, there are no options for that. But, but those who die and they went to be with the Lord, they're alive. They're doing great. Some of them had major health issues on earth. They don't have those anymore. So Paul was eagerly looking forward to being with Christ so much that the thought of dying did not discourage him. I will tell you, Dr. Olin, that I mentioned the 
weird comment about Barnes earlier. Uh, Dr. Oldham, when he was dying, his family was gathered around him and he could not speak and he had not moved for several hours. And his family started singing together, just worshiping the Lord with him there. And pretty soon his hand came up and he started directing the songs. And then he got a big smile on his face and he went out to heaven with a smile on his face while his family was singing songs of worship for Christ. He knew what was coming. He was eager for it. And Paul acknowledged that being with Christ was far better. Now, I praise the Lord that I have had my health issues resolved. I came really close to dying in July last year. And I praise the Lord that I'm doing better now. But you know what? If I had died, it would have been far better. For me, I would have been with the Lord. Uh, but like Paul said, it's more needful that I can be here for you. So, so we're not eager to die, but we're not afraid to die either. And the dead people will live. Paul realized that staying here allowed him to minister to other people and to earn greater reward in heaven. So here's some other verses in the Bible that talk about this hope. This is not just a unique thing that Paul deals with. Isaiah 26, 19, your dead shall live. Together with my dead body, they shall arise, awake, and sing. You who dwell in the dust, for your dew is like the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. Uh, Job said, for I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth, and after my skin is destroyed in the decomposition process. De de anyway, you know what I mean. This I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. How my heart yearns within me. He had that desire to see the Lord and, and have his resurrected body. Um, in Matthew 22, uh, Jesus said, But concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Abraham is alive and well with his Lord and Savior in heaven. The one he knew as the Messiah who would come, he now knows as Jesus the Christ who came, and he worships him in heaven. In John 11, Martha told Jesus, I know that Lazarus will rise again in the resurrection. And in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, uh, when Paul was writing about the event we call the rapture, he said, The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, because dead people live, not as zombies, not as weird, not quite dead things, uh, but as people who are doing better than they ever did on their life on this earth. We've lost loved ones who suffered from dementia, multiple sclerosis, cystic fibrosis, muscular dystrophy, ALS, Crohn's diabetes, cancer, heart diseases, breathing disorders, mental illness. They each and they all are living far better in heaven than they ever did on earth. They struggle. They had health difficulties. They had mental difficulties. They had physical problems and emotional difficulties. 
and now they're doing just fine. We have the promise of life after death, modeled by Jesus, who came back from the dead and walked and talked with his followers, and also clearly taught in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, there is life after death. And for those who believe on and trust in Jesus Christ, the life after this life, the life after death, is better than the life on this earth could ever be. There's a second thing in which heaven is radically different than life on this earth. You're going to be rewarded for your service, not your successes. So what do you think this little boy just did? He won the video game. That's sure what it looks like. And the little girl's cheering him instead of pouting that she didn't get her turn. That's unusual, maybe. Not because little girls pout, but because the kid always wants to be the one on the, on the computer. Uh, but it looks like he just won and he's excited. Now I'm going to ask you to turn to some different passages of Scripture, and they're always going to show up on the screen. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If you can turn over there, we're going to read a few verses in just a moment. But in this life, on this earth, we celebrate and reward the ones who run or swim or drive the fastest. Well, if they're in a NASCAR race. If they drive the fastest out on the freeway, we don't celebrate those. Okay, the ones who shoot the most accurately, whether it's pistols or rifles or archery or basketball or hockey or tennis or racquetball or pickleball, the one who shoots the best, we celebrate them. And we celebrate the Olympic gold medals. The Super Bowl champions, the Stanley Cup winners, the NASCAR Cup, the NBA champs, we celebrate those who win. But in heaven, instead of celebrating the series champions, we'll celebrate the serving champions. God will recognize those who serve more than the World Series champions. In fact, the bat boy might receive more attention in heaven than the MVP of the World Series. The, the one who got the water and made sure the Gatorade, the water, and all the other stuff were ready for the players might get more reward and more recognition in heaven than the Super Bowl MVP. Uh, the one who cleaned the church bathroom might get more attention than the guest speaker or the featured soloist. Because in heaven we're rewarded for our service. The highest honors go to those for whom the Lord will say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Not well done, thou good and successful person. But thou good and faithful servant. So in 1 Corinthians, Paul is rebuking people for their divisions in the church. And instead of allowing the gospel to bring them together, they were dividing up by this group and that group. You know, I mean, we have people in our church that are just diehard NASCAR fans or diehard professional football fans. But even then, you got your diehard professional football fans versus your diehard uh, college football fans. And then you've also got your arena football fans. And now you got your XFL. And pretty soon you're going to have your USFL champions. And, and, and even those who are diehard professional football fans, some of them were actually erroneously cheering for the Eagles last week. I don't understand that. But listen. We have differences, 
And what they were allowing in the church, they were allowing the differences to corrupt the church. And they were saying, I'm with Paul, I'm with Apollos. And Paul said, why are you doing that? Did Paul die for you? Was I crucified for you? No, he was not. And so in, in chapter 1, he asks him that. And then in chapter 3, he again starts lecturing them on the problem of this divisiveness in the church. And then we're going to pick up in verse number 8 of 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 8. Now, he who plants and he who waters are one. And each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, you are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For other no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, or stubble, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Look at verse 14. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. So the gold, the silver, the precious stones, the, that building, that will endure, and it will be blessed. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as by fire. So the wood, the hay, the straw, that'll just be consumed. Uh, it's almost like I get the image of God just piling on all of these things. And, you know, here's what you did, here's what you earned, pile it up, and then they torch it. And the gold, silver, and precious stones remain, and all the other stuff just gets burned away. But I want you to notice the way Paul writes about it here. In verse number 8, what is a person rewarded for? It says specifically a phrase, his own labor. Now, if we were writing today, we would say his or her own labor. Each person is rewarded for their own labor. So, you are rewarded based on two things. First off, your actions, your own labor. So you're rewarded for your service, not for your successes. And, and you get the reward for what you do. Now, uh, Tim and Corinda Pettick are very active in our church. They were up here doing the uh, welcome today. Tim was teaching the Bible class in here a little bit before that. And hopefully Corinne, Clorinda was in here paying attention while Tim was up teaching. But you know, they serve in a lot of different ways in the church. And so their kids don't get any rewards for what their parents do. Clorinda's mom and dad are active in this church, the Ricosis. They don't get any reward for what Tim and Clorinda do. In fact, Clorinda doesn't get any reward for what Tim does. She might get a reward for putting up with Tim. I'm not sure about that. But, but listen, we each get our own reward. And so when you go to heaven, God's not going to reward you. He's not going to say, oh, you were the champion of your church. You get the super gold star. No, he's going to say, here's what you did. Here's what you earned. Here's your reward. You're rewarded for your own labor. 
So your actions will bring reward or not, depending on whether those actions are following the Lord and glorifying Him or not. The second part of it, if you look down in verse 13, he gives another description of how our work will be um, judged. At the end of verse 13, he says, the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. What sort it is. So whether it was really gold, silver, and precious stones, or whether it was wood, hay, and straw, or stubble, uh, that what sort it is. And, and I think because of what's taught in the Bible that, that this kind of refers to what your motives are. Now, uh, there is an offering box back there. Some people give in the offering box. Some people give online. Uh, some people order it through their bank and their bank sends checks that come in the mailbox and Megan gets those and put those in the offering. And there's no wrong way to give unless you're not giving. If you're giving to the work of the Lord, you can do what works good for you. You can do it online and you can do it. Some people do it online and set it up where it's automatic and it just takes care of itself. Every month, the same amount goes out. But listen, Jesus said, when you're giving your offering and you remember somebody has something against you, what are you supposed to do? Leave your offering there and go fix the problem with your brother or your sister. You leave the offering and you go fix the problem. He also said something else about the way that you give. He said, remember, he was talking in the Sermon on the Mount and he talked about the Pharisees and some of the way they gave. Now, we used to pass the offering plate. Some churches, Kathy was in one, where they had an offering box up here at the front. And it was right, well, we don't have an organ, but we'll pretend this is, the organist was up there and she was playing. The people came by and she kind of watched what got put in there. And then she said, that's not enough. You got to come again. So the whole church came by again. Uh, uh, we had a missionary friend who was in, uh, uh, in an African country. I can't remember the one she was in. And she was talking about how they would do the offering in their church. And she said she had to learn when she first went there that you never gave it all the first time. Because in their church, you had to dance by and put it in the box. I just can't quite picture watching Richie dance by and put it in the box. You know, I can see him ripping on a Harley and throwing it off his shoulder as he goes by. But, you know, that, that's what they did in their church. And so she put it all in the first time. And then everybody expected her to give again and again. And she learned. You just put a little in the first time and a little bit more the second time and a little bit more. The, and so we, we don't try and draw attention to it. But in Israel, what they were doing in Jesus' day, they wanted to draw attention to how much they gave. They would actually hire trumpeters to go before them to sound the trumpet. You know, this person is giving this much. And when they put their offering in, they didn't write a check. They stood there and they like put it out one coin at a time. Clink, clink. Kind of the way kids like to put it in there. They'll get up there and they'll drop it in and it sounds pretty cool when that quarter hits the bottom. And they never shove all the coins in at once. One, funk, two, funk, three, funk. And, and so they want to get as much attention as they could. And so, were they giving an offering? Yes. 
But what did Jesus say? When they gave their offering, trying to get the attention of men, what reward did they receive? The only reward they received was the attention of men. No reward from God at all. So it's not just what you do, it's why you do it. It's how you do it. It's the motive that you have for doing it. So your work is going to be tried by what you did, what were your actions, and how you did it, why you did it, what were your motives. And so you are not rewarded based on the outcomes. One time when I preached in Cuba, we had a, a congregation, it was about, the auditorium was about this big. There were a few more people in it, not a whole lot more than we have here today. And we had the invitation and 75 people came forward to trust Christ. I actually thought there was a mistake that they didn't understand. So I, I apologized and asked them to go back to their seat. I went through it all again. I wanted to make sure they weren't just emotionally responding. And I, I wanted to make sure if they'd already trusted Christ, they don't need to do this again. I thought it was a communication error. And then I asked them to come forward again. And all those people came forward again. And I turned to my translator and I said, I don't think they're understanding. And he said, what's the matter, Pastor? Don't you trust the Holy Spirit? <laughs> That's 75 people saved. Last Sunday, you know how many people we had saved at the end of the message here last Sunday? None that I know of. Somebody might have done it on their own. I don't know. So, well, when I get to heaven, will I have this awesome reward? Because I preached and 75 people got saved. You know, I'll get the exact same reward for preaching then and preaching now. We are not rewarded based on the outcome. We are rewarded based on our service. You also are not rewarded based on your intentions. Well, I intended to do that. Well, I planned to do that. Well, I thought about doing that. We're really good at judging ourselves by our intentions and judging other people by their actions. You know, if somebody cuts you off in traffic, you might think, they're a jerk, right? You might think that. But if you accidentally cut somebody else off, you don't want them thinking you're a jerk. You want them thinking this is an unusual anomaly and you feel bad and you won't do it again. So we're not judged by our intentions. We're not rewarded based on our intentions. We're not rewarded uh, based on the outcomes. We're rewarded based on our service not our successes. Matthew Henry put it this way, God rewards in proportion to the diligence and faithfulness of his servants. And here's a third thing. You will no longer have sinful desires. Doesn't that kid look a little guilty? <laughs> you will no longer have sinful desires. You see on the screen, Revelation 21, we'll be there in just a moment. In Romans 7, Paul confessed some of his daily struggles with sin. He wanted to do the right thing, but his carnal nature encouraged him to do the wrong thing. 
uh, sometimes the very things that he knew he should avoid, he found himself starting to do and it bothered him. In fact, he, he even called himself a wretched man because this internal struggle that was going on. And then in Galatians 5, Paul described the inner struggle of all believers where our flesh wars against the spirit. There's this ongoing battle and difficulty in our lives. And on this earth, some days we do better than others. Some days we really struggle to do what's right. Sometimes it feels nearly impossible to forgive. Nearly impossible. Some days it's difficult to obey. I mean, those of you who are kids and you still live at home, then you totally understand that some days it's really hard to do what mom and dad say. And the older you get as a kid living at home, the more difficult it is. But if you're a kid living at home, you still have to obey the house rules. So trusting God some days takes a lot of effort. And so in heaven, we're going to be released from all those struggles. I want you to, well, if you're already there, you don't need to turn there. But if you're not, I want you to mark your spot in Revelation 21 because we're going to come back to it a little bit later. So Revelation 21 and uh, uh, join with me, please, in verse 5. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowardly, unbeliever, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Turn down to verse number 27. Verse number 27. And he says, But there shall by no means enter in anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. See, in heaven, sin won't be there. Now, you cannot just excuse your sin while you're here on earth and say, that's just the nature of life on earth. I struggle like Paul struggled. No, uh, 2 Peter 1, 3 said, God's divine power has given you all things that pertain to life and godliness. All things do. So maybe you have a difficult relationship. You know, Megan sometimes has problems with her boss. <laughs> uh, maybe you have a difficult relationship at work or at home or uh, in the community. And sometimes you think, I have just had it. I can't take any more. Well, the Bible says God's given you everything you need to respond appropriately. It doesn't mean it's easy. It just means it's possible. And there's other areas where Paul wrote to the Galatians. He said in Galatians 5.16, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So guys, sometimes you just need to man up and live well. Ladies, you need to be a woman of God and do the right thing. It will be great in heaven to not have that struggle anymore. We will not have to struggle to do right in heaven. Hey, I know some days 
getting around for church feels like a chore. I remember reading a comic once where uh, this lady said to her husband, you have to get up and get around for church. It's the right thing to do. You need to go. And the husband's like, no, nobody loves me. I don't even want to go. Nobody cares about me. And she's like pulling on him, trying to get him out of bed. And then she says, but you have to go. You're the pastor. <laughs> you know, you would think that coming to church on Sunday is like always high-fiving. This is awesome. Captain, I sit down at breakfast. It's like, this is going to be great. You know, some mornings we sit at breakfast and like, God, give us the strength to do what we need to do today. Because she's going to be teaching and she's going to be playing and I'm going to be preaching. And all of those are exhausting things. And so it, it doesn't mean that following the Lord is easy. We have the capacity, but I'll tell you what, it will be easy in heaven. In heaven... I will not wake up tired and exhausted after a poor night's sleep. In heaven, I will not be physically or emotionally exhausted. In heaven, I will not feel the spiritual struggles that you sense sometimes when you're teaching God's word or preaching God's word and, and you sense some resistance or spiritual tension in the room. And so right now, we struggle to do right and to bring glory to God. But in heaven, we won't have that struggle anymore. In heaven, you will not accidentally do the wrong thing. You will not force yourself to do the right thing. In heaven, the right thing will be the natural thing. In heaven, we will no longer have a sin nature. It will be easier and more natural to do the right thing all the time. You will not have a sin nature. You will not have sinful desires. You know, we don't hear people talking about sin quite so much today. Part of it might be, you know, you've matured in Christ, so when you were first saved, there were some sins that were maybe serious problems in your life. You had to overcome those. And so the sins that you have now are maybe more subtle, more nuanced. They're not as bold and as obvious. But we are supposed to struggle with sin, to not give in, to follow God, to serve Him. And that's something we can do every day. But in heaven, it'll be easy. Now, I used to play basketball with my dad and my brothers. I was a really good rebounder. I was a good setter for, for lobbing, uh, catching them open. I was great at bounce passing because my brain automatically thinks physics and geometry. Uh, so I could bounce pass the ball right between the legs of defenders. And, and I, I was just, I was good, but I couldn't shoot that well. And, but I played on the team with my dad and my brothers. And one thing that the difference between the person who really gets it and the person who just works hard at it, I had to think about what to do every time. They just naturally did. They had to teach me, when you get the rebound, the first thing you do is you look for the open person, like my brother or my dad, because they would be going on a fast break and I could get the rebound and lob it to them. But at first, I'd get the rebound and then I'd look around, what do I need to do? Instead of grabbing the rebound, coming down and then going right back up to pass it off to one of them so we could score really quickly. They did it naturally. 
They were way better at basketball than I was. But in heaven, I'll be able to naturally do the good things that God wants me to do. And so will you. We won't have that struggle. One of the big, huge blessings about heaven is we will never again have the fear of death. We will never again have the fear of death. So in 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to look at a couple of verses there, or several. I personally have never had the fear of death. Um, I, I, I don't know if it's because I was preemie or because I was weird, but I didn't have any of the normal fears that kids have. Um, I, I did some really crazy, risky things in my younger years because I didn't have a fear of death. Um, but I did fear death for the people that I loved. And uh, when I was four years old, my older sister, Denise, who happened to be here last week, Denise was in the hospital in an oxygen tent. Some of you remember those old days, the old medicine they used to do. And um, she was fighting off bacterial meningitis. And uh, I hated when we would go visit her in the hospital because I couldn't touch her. I couldn't hug her. Uh, she was off limits. And... I had to wear a mask and gloves and be gowned and be away from her. And, and then we would drive home and leave her there. And I was terrified that she was dying. Um, praise the Lord, she lived and she's serving the Lord today. 24 years later, our daughter Megan was just six weeks old. And the doctor said, Kathy called me on the phone actually and said, Megan has meningitis. And I... I went into early childhood trauma mode. I, I drove home from work 22 miles to pick Kathy up and drove her to the hospital 20 miles from where we lived to the hospital with the doctor that we, we went to. And I think I did the whole trip in like 27 minutes. I was just crazy. I was panicked. Kathy thought we were going to die on the road before we ever got to the hospital for Megan. Uh, but I was so scared. And I remember pacing around the hospital just in a panic. So I never had the fear of death for myself. But I had the fear of death for my older sister and for my daughter because I loved them. And in heaven, you will not have the fear of death for yourself or for anybody else. Are you in 1 Corinthians 15? That was on the screen there. So look down at verse 53. For this corruptible, this body that decays that gets older, that will eventually die, this corruptible must put on incorruption. And this mortal, this body that will die, must put on immortality. So, verse 54, so when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, all right, now you guys are going to finish this verse with me, and we're going to say it really loudly. The last phrase of verse number 54 starts with the word death. All right, we're going to say it really loudly together. Ready? Death is swallowed up in victory. Now, you know, at least one of you should have said hallelujah or amen after that. Death is swallowed up in victory. Have you ever watched fish? I mean, a whale comes along, and there's these minnows coming along, and what the whale just opens its mouth, and the little minnows just get sucked in there, and they're gone. That's what's going to happen to death. It's just going to be coming along, and it's going to be swallowed up in victory. 
It'll disappear. Death will not plague us anymore. You will never again have the fear of death. Never. You won't sit by a hospital bed or a hospice bed holding the hand of one you love, watching him die. You will never have to look in the mirror thinking, my time's coming to an end. My body's not going to make it much longer. You will never have the fear of death of any way, of any kind. Now, I said we were going to be back in Revelation. Turn back to Revelation 21, please. And in Revelation 21, um, we're going to look at two more verses here that we didn't look at earlier in the message. And that's going to start in verse 3 and verse 4. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And, um, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. All right, here's the last thing we're going to look at today about heaven. It will be completely safe and comprehensively satisfying. Completely safe, comprehensively, in every way, satisfying. Heaven provides a home for those who are homeless, a family for those who are orphaned, health for those who are sickly, comfort for those who are anguished, eyesight for the blind, hearing for the deaf, speech for the mute, joy for the sorrowful. There will be no wars, no gangs, no violent crimes, no petty crimes, no prisons, no frauds, no scams, no need for a police force, no home alarm systems, no falling airplane parts or asteroids headed for our planet, no pandemics or infectious diseases, no evil, no corruption. Every part of heaven will be safe. Every part. And it will be comprehensively satisfying. Have you ever had a meal that was really good for the most part, except for that one part? You know, it was a great meal except for the artichoke, right? Let me give you a clue. The artichokes are always bad. Okay? Just leave those out. I know some of you like artichokes. I don't. My parents loved them. I hated watching them eat them. Uh, but you, you had a great vacation, right? Except for the cost of gas and all the traffic. You had a great day at work, except for that one obnoxious customer. You went to the game, you loved the game, except for the uncomfortable seats and the expensive food. And you absolutely loved the concert, except for that one time that one soprano got a little shrill. Every individual thing in heaven, each part and the collective whole will be satisfying, comprehensively satisfying. You will be able to honestly say, it doesn't get any better than this. You will love the atmosphere, the air, the sights, the sounds, the people, the angels. Most of all, you will very much enjoy being in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for you. You have never been in a completely safe environment on planet Earth. You have never been in a comprehensively satisfying, joyful environment 
on this planet. But you will. Because heaven is a radically different place than where we live now. We will truly, honestly, with integrity and appropriateness, call it awesome. We will also call it home. Home. It'll be the greatest place we've ever been and the place we belong with our Lord and Savior forever. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the glorious hope of heaven. We thank you that all we had to do was recognize that we were sinners and trust and believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior. We thank you for the, the free gift of salvation. We thank you for the penalty that Christ paid on our behalf on the cross. We thank you that you loved us enough to send your Son so that we could be saved. And I pray for those here this morning who possibly have not yet trusted Christ. May they do it today. May today be their spiritual birthday. And if they have trusted Christ, Father, help us to rejoice that this world is not the best there is. The best there is, is coming. And we are in your presence in heaven. And we know it's coming because you promised. Help us to encourage ourselves future that you have for us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to know more about Victory, please visit our website at victoryarizona.org. You can also connect with us on our Facebook page or by emailing victory at victoryarizona.org. We'd love to help you accept and follow Jesus Christ.